God, we give you thanks today for the way you love us. We thank you for the perspective that comes from knowing you. God, I pray for anybody in the building today who is disillusioned, who is frustrated, anybody listening online who is tired, kind of tired of being tired. God, those of us who have jammed our lives with so many things, a lot of them matter, but we've lost perspective on them. Would you, right here in this place, would you give us some perspective? Would you give us that deep breath that comes when we know where, who we are, where we belong, what we're doing? God, would you give us that this morning and we'll listen in your son's name. Amen. So it's that time of season, isn't it, where we start watching movies and listening to music and all of those things. It's a weird thing. I mean, there, there's, there's very few other things like Christmas in our culture, is there? Where, where you, you have all, all these things that smell like Christmas, that look like Christmas. You can go to Starbucks and get Christmas in a cup. You can go to McDonald's and get Christmas with a straw. You can get every, everywhere, everything in our life, there is something that has to do with Christmas. And it all raises up around this time. Actually, it's starting to raise up around October now, I think. Um, September in some places. Um, and uh, and we, we just get this incredible inundation with, with Christmas um, in our lives. And, and what it does, if you're not careful, is that it, it complicates all of Christmas. It complicates the Christmas season. It is fun. It's exciting. Some people, some Scrooges among us, don't like any of it. Um, but truthfully, most of us enjoy it, but it does complicate it. It convolutes it, and it, it makes it noisy. Um, one of the things that does that is movies. And in this time of year, man, if you've got cable or satellite, um, even just the, the networks, you've got the kids' cartoon Christmas things, which truthfully, t- in today's standards, they're not even that great. I mean, they're Let's, let's just be honest, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, was, it's weird. That whole frosty story is weird, but we love it because it's, it's our history, right? And we watch it, and we want our kids to watch it. We want their kids to watch it. My kids are watching it going, what in the world is this Charlie Brown thing, you know? Like, it's Charlie Brown, are you kidding me? Dad, let's, let's turn on something else, you know? And, and there's just this sense that we want our kids to have the same thing we have. We want those kind of things to, to keep moving. And one of the things... Movies just at all times of year are important to me, but Christmas especially. And I like the, the White Christmas. I like, um, I, I like It's a Wonderful Life. I love all the Miracle on 34th Street. I'm not so crazy about the Hallmark Channel, but I love my wife, so I watch them. Um, and, uh, and she was watching another one last night starring Candace Cameron. I think they're all the same, you know. Um, but they, they all have this kind of a love story, and there's Christmas, and there's snow, and there's stuff. My favorite all-time Christmas movie, though, is um, Christmas Vacation. No question. Hands down, hands down, Christmas Vacation, um, I, could, uh, I could do a whole sermon just based on the quotes from Christmas Vacation. I will not do that. That's not my job, and I'm not sure that would be the best use of your time this morning. But I love the movie, grew up with the movie. Um, it was sort of the traditional Christmas movie in my family. Um, and I, I put a, I got to have a screen capture up there. I put a screen capture up there this morning um, of, uh, is it working there, Tanya? There it is. Yeah, there's Clark and Eddie standing next to the Christmas tree. And if you're not, if you're, if you're like my family, or truthfully, if you're breathing, you around Christmas are inundated with complications around Christmas. It's just, it's complicated, isn't it? It might be fun, it might be energizing, it might be exciting, it might be a deep breath in some ways for you, but in a lot of ways it's just exhausting. 
You got the shopping malls and you got the parking. I remember one day, and my dad still tells this every Christmas when we go Christmas shopping. My dad tells the whole story. It's almost like the, the Luke chapter 2 Christmas story. My dad starts it the same way, tells it the same way. We can almost quote it. You remember the time we went to Greenwood the Friday before Christmas and we drove around. He drove for three hours looking for a parking place. And finally, mom called him and said, we're done. He just pulled around, picked her up, drove around for three hours looking for a parking place. Never found it. It's complicated. It's just hard. We buy gifts. We have stuff to do. We have to hang stuff in our yards. We have to put electricity in our yards and light stuff up that we normally don't want people to see. We have lights everywhere. We have star right now. We have a big star in our, in our, 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 right in our window in the front. And we have all these things we have to do. I'm out snow shoveling for an hour and a half yesterday and I watched my neighbor three passes with his snowblower, you know, <laughs> Go, done. And it took me all afternoon and I still got ice all over the place, you know. It's just complicated. And maybe no more complicated at Christmas than our relationships, right? You got divorces. You got, should we go to his family or her family? You got, who gets the kids and when does the kids go here? And oh, don't give them too much, but give them a little bit. And how are we going to get it all in the car? And how are we going to get home? And then who? And then if you guys, this is really complicated. And I'm just going to warn you, especially if you're a young man and you've got a wife or a girlfriend in your life, this is the time of year that we get one lie, at least, from our wives and our girlfriends. They say this. I don't really want anything this year. <laughs> Woe to the man who wakes up Christmas morning still believing that. It's not true. It's complicated. You've got to be careful. You don't want it to be too expensive because then she feels bad she didn't get you something that was that expensive. It's complicated. And we have to go to this whole gift thing where I need to buy you exactly what you want but somehow surprise you with it at the same time. How do we do that? I know how to surprise somebody with a gift. You just, you go in and you think you get something that they would have never thought of and they open it and go, wow. And I know how to get something somebody wants. They walk into a store and go, I want that and I pay for it. But I don't know how to get something somebody wants that I surprise them with. This is just, it's complicated. The whole thing is complicated. Then you've got the relationship part where you walk into a house, you're inviting people into your house that you don't even like. And then you go with your wife and you have that conversation. Guys, you have this conversation with your wife. I've done it. I've, and you know you shouldn't ask this question, but you feel like you're, it's going to make you a better guest if you do. So on the way to the person's house or to the guest's house or to the party, you go finally on the way there. You just finally, it comes out of your mouth. You go, how, how, how long do we have to stay? How, how long? I mean, I'm not saying I don't want to do it. I'm not saying, I just, not knowing how long we have to stay is killing me when I'm in it. I can have fun for two hours. You tell me two hours, I'll have fun for two hours. I'll be the life of the party. But don't make me indefinitely wait and try to figure out how long I have to talk to Grandpa Harold, who I've never met. It's complicated. Why do we make this so complicated? And then, you come to church, and some preacher puts on a headset reads too much, listens to too many sermons, and makes the story of Christmas so complicated that you don't come back till Easter. <laughs> and if you're listening online, there's probably a good reason you're not going to show up during Christmas at this church. It's because hayseeds like me have stood on the stage and made Christmas complicated. We've made the story too complicated. We've gone ahead and gone with the rest of the world and dressed up everything like everybody else does. We don't even know what it's about anymore. We hang signs in our yard that says Jesus is the reason for the season, but we don't even know what that means. It's confusing. And it's complicated. I want to change that. This Christmas. 
So over the next few weeks, over the next, next couple weeks leading up to Christmas, the theme of my sermon series leading up to Christmas this year is uncomplicating Christmas. We are going to make this as simple, as easy as it was in the beginning. So here's what I'm going to ask you. Those of you who slid in here this morning on the ice and snow, you came because you love it here, you want a word from God this morning. I want you to think about this morning bringing your friends and family during the Christmas season to uncomplicate Christmas for them. Because here's the problem. We have got this so convoluted and so messed up that people are saying no to Jesus and they don't even know why. They don't even know what they're saying no to. So here's what I want to do over the next few weeks. If you're kicking the tires on the Jesus thing or if you've got friends and family who you want to to hear this story, the real story, maybe you're going to act like you know it and all of a sudden you're going to hear it for the first time during this thing and it's going to become uncomplicated to you. I want you to understand if you're going to say no to Jesus, if you're going to say no to this good news of Jesus, I want you to make sure it's the right thing you're saying no to. I don't want to screw it up. I don't want to mess this thing up any more than it has already been messed up. So... I've been praying really hard about not complicating this thing, and I thought I would start with the way it started. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Shepherds are out in the field. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you good news. You know what good news isn't? It isn't. I bring you a list of things to do in your life. You know what good news isn't? I bring you guilt from heaven. Because all the things that you're supposed to be doing, you're not doing. You know what good news isn't? It isn't, I I want you to give your life to God. That's not good news. Those are all things preachers have said, and those are all things that may be good for your life. But that day, that moment was not about any of those things. It was good news. It was the best news the earth had ever seen. That word good news is where we get the word gospel. It mean, gospel literally means good story. It's, this is the good story. And, and in English, we just say good, but the way it came across in the original language, it was almost like the angel would have said, you're never going to forget this day. Something is getting ready to happen that will change everything. But the problem is, many of us have changed nothing. We have either followed the wrong Jesus, or we have forgot the good message, the good news. So this morning, I want to start with this. The angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. You sing that, don't you? You sing it. Joy to the world, don't you? And we sing all these songs, we, most of them we don't think about because it's just part of the noise of Christmas. Great Joy, would you stop for a second and just pretend you're not listening to a cheesy preacher? You're supposed to have great joy because of this news. Great joy. If there is something in the message of Jesus that doesn't bring you great joy, it was messed up by the person who delivered it to you. It might have been me. If there is something in this story that makes you feel guilt, if there's something in this story that doesn't bring you great joy, we have messed up the message. And I prayed all this week that it would just be about great joy for you. So, today, I often do this. I have a list of things I want you to do at the end of this sermon. I don't today. I want you to see the great joy that changed everything. 
it will cause great joy for all the people. All the people. Everywhere. No matter what language they speak, no matter what God that they have worshipped before, no matter who they're around, no matter what decisions they've made in their lives, no matter who they're related to, no matter what, this is for all people. Yes, it's for your grumpy neighbor. Yes, it's for your dad. This great news is life-changing even for the very last breath you have. If you don't get this until the very last breath, it's still for you. Great joy. See, here's what the good news is not. Check this out. The good news is not, hey, God's bringing good news. Everybody needs to straighten up. You need to do better. You You guys are awful. Straighten up. That's the good news. It's not... Good news, everybody's got to get back to church. It's not good news, give your life to God. That's not even what the good news is. It's not good news, oh, by the way, take notes here because you want to make sure you do all these things. That's not the good news. Here's what it is. Check this out. I love this. John, the writer John, in John chapter 3.16, I'm going to read a verse of Scripture today that you've heard so many times you've don't, you, it's lost meaning to you. You know, it's complete. You know, if you say a word over and over and over, it finally loses meaning. You know, that's what's happened with John 3.16. We've said it so many times. We see it at ball games. It's lost meaning to us. I'm going to read it really slowly this morning because this is huge. And I need you to know about this man, John. He wants to tell us the Christmas story. And that's what he's doing. He's telling us the real reason, the real joy of Christmas. And he's, John, this guy, John, if you're, if you're not sure who he is, he followed Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. This was a man who didn't preach about Jesus like I do. He's not a guy who read everything he could do and get all the stuff and study the Greek and figure it out like I do and listen to other preachers' sermons and then steal it and act like you said it. He didn't do that. He didn't have to do that. This guy walked with Jesus. And when Jesus said something, he remembered it, he wrote it down, and he began to live the way Jesus wanted him to live. So this is a guy who we should listen to. And what happened was he became famous. He became really famous because Jesus loved John so much that right before Jesus died, maybe you remember this, right before Jesus died, he looked down from the cross and he said to John, John, I want you to take care of my mom. I mean, he he loved his mommy. John was his best buddy. He was his, you're going to take care of my mom. And I've actually been to the place in Ephesus, modern day Turkey, where John, where it said that John lived and took care of Mary the rest of his life and the rest of her life because of what Jesus had said. This is a man who knew knew Jesus intimately. And what would happen is when Jesus died, he changed everything. Jesus changed everything. And there wasn't Twitter and Facebook. If there was, I can't imagine how much the buzz would have been. But the buzz was everywhere, even though those kinds of social media tools weren't around. And basically, everybody knew who John was. He was a celebrity all over the world because of Jesus. People would follow him, they'd listen to him, and he would write down these things. He would write down these stories and the things that Jesus said. And what we believe here at this church is that God blessed what John wrote, that he, he consecrated, that he said this is going to be something that will live forever so that everybody hears the words of Jesus. John took those things and people started making copies of them. Groups of people, that was what they did for a living. You couldn't put it on a copy maker and hit start. People would actually make physical written copies and they started spreading them all over 300 years after John wrote it they compiled it with a whole bunch of letters that John wrote to the churches saying this is what Jesus wants you to do this is what he's told me and this is what he wants to tell you and that's where we get our Bible so out of all that today this is what John says he's talking uh, um, about a a kind of another subject and he says you need to hear the good news this is the good news and I'm going to break it down for you today for God so loved 
the world. For God so loved the world. That thought was profound to the readers. That, you could put a period right there and they would go, what? God doesn't, who, what? God loves people? Because what happened is, at that point in history, people weren't worshiping God with a big G. They were worshiping gods, all kinds of gods. If something bad happened in your life, you would say it was because the gods are angry. You've done something to make the gods angry. So you would have to do something to appease the gods. And there was this feeling at that point in history that if you wanted the gods to find favor with you, then you had to behave right. I wonder where they got that. You know, I'm glad that's gone, right? Um, we still do it, don't we? We still feel like the only way to get God to love us is to behave and to do right. And truthfully, at this point in history, everybody assumed that the gods didn't love you. They played with you. They played games with you. Hey, let's see what happens if we push this guy over here. Let's put a little rain cloud over here, and then let's take the, take the rain away and make sure the, the desert is dry. And, and so they, they made up these gods that played with them. And so the idea that the real God, the creator of heaven and earth, would love you is crazy. He so loved you that he did what in love people do. God so loved you that he did what you do when you love people. He gave. He so loved you that he gave. He, no strings attached. No rules. And I need to say that again this morning because there's a lot of people who just don't believe it. He gave. No strings attached. No rules. If there were strings attached, if there were rules, now there are laws. <laughs> there are things that we need to do to have life the way God intends for us to have. But the acceptance of this is fully about grace and a gift. And if you think it's not, you've missed the good news because news like that just isn't very the good news is that it's a gift. It's free. And it's for everyone. And the thing about giving is that God created it. It's this thing in you. It's why we do Christmas the way we do, right? At Christmas, we give each other gifts partially because God gave his gift. And we've sort of really messed it up, truthfully. I mean, we have a Christmas at our house where you where we give gifts and I get that, I still get that little lump in my throat and that little feeling of I can't wait for Risha to open this or my kids to open it. That's why I still like surprises. Um, but they, they, they open this and you just love it. But still, we've messed this up because, you know, every one of you are going to go to a white elephant party this year. One of those things where you get a random stupid gift. What is that? We've messed this up. I, the worst, even worse than the white elephant is the one where you, you go buy a $10 gift and you write on it to a man from John. Or two boy. You remember that in school? Two boy. Two girl from John. What, is, what kind of gift is that? We've messed this up. We have absolutely messed this up. The original gift was the most precious thing God had. And he gave it, not because there was a little list that said you got $10 to spend and you're going to be the only one that didn't bring one. Not because you want to make somebody laugh. We gave it out of 100% love. That's what God did. He so loved the world that he gave. The incredible thing about giving, too, and we all love it at Christmas, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you buy into the God thing or not, you love giving. You just do. And part of the reason is because you usually get back more than you give in some way, don't you? The phrase that Christian people use, and you'll see it at the Christian bookstore everywhere, is you can't outgive God, right? 
And I do believe that's true, although we use it too much and in the wrong places, truthfully. But you can't outgive God. God always gives more than we can give. And, and truthfully, it's this thing that he's embedded in humankind. And I saw it, I witnessed it this morning on my way to work. My wife, who often displays godly characteristics, she, we were on our way to work, this, or on the way to church this morning, and you know, Reese got into these, this mode where you're just trying to get his coat on, you know, and the thing I say most on Sunday mornings before I preach is, Reese, <laughs> Reese, go, get this, put this on, wear coat, hat, glove, and then he's just boneless, you know, so you got to try to get it on him while he's, and so in the midst of all that, we're trying to get them in the car, we got them in the car, and everything gets real quiet, and he goes, Mom, I didn't get any breakfast. <laughs> Risha said, well, I brought mine. She had a coffee and a breakfast bar. She said, would you like my breakfast bar? I, I mean, I would say it wasn't the most cheerful giving I've ever seen, <laughs> truthfully. I mean, she even kind of like, like, like bent it over so it looked gross and like it had been sitting there for a while. Would, well, Reese, would you like my breakfast? Yes, I'll take it. Gone. And I saw this look on Rich's face like, huh. And he ate the breakfast bar in about 13 seconds. Half of it ended up on the floor, which is what happens in our car. But then, guess what? On the way to church, we drop the kids off with my mom and dad, and we stop at McDonald's. No line. It's always a big line on Sundays. No line. It's divine intervention. No line. Pulled around McDonald's, and I ordered her not a granola bar that's been sitting in the bottom of the pantry and pushed down by the, the tomato sauce, you know, and it just kind of looks crumpled and think a mom's might have already taken a bite of it. That, it's that one, you know. That's not what she ordered. She ordered an egg McMuffin. Fried egg, bacon, Canadian bacon. It's just like American bacon, it's just ham. A lightly melted piece of American cheese. Betwixt an English muffin lightly toasted. I'm sorry. I'll come back. It was beautiful. An Egg McMuffin in replace of a chunky little breakfast bar. If she had eaten the breakfast bar, she'd have never had the pleasure of the most wonderful breakfast item God ever created. Dun 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 I'm loving it. <laughs> this sermon sponsored by McDonald's. No. I want to tell you this morning that your gifts are no different. I mean, you can give nasty granola bars if you want for Christmas. Or you can spend a lot of money and you can give, but when you give out of love, when you give everything you got, it changes who you are. And in the long run, you're blown away because you can't outgive God. For God so loved this world that He gave His one and only Son. Now, this is without getting into a theological debate because we're trying to keep this as simple as possible this morning. It's not necessarily Jesus is not necessarily a son like Reese is my son. It's not that way. There's not that sort of a thing. But basically, the writers use this word, and God uses this word to show us that this is the most precious thing He could possibly give you. It is the number one. It's the top. It's the best thing He had. He gave to you. He didn't give you. He didn't even give you His worst granola bar in the cabinet. He gave you his best, his very best. And this son, whoever believes in him, this is it. This is the good news right here. You got it? That before this, you were doomed. 
Before this, you didn't know where you stood with God. You didn't know if you were in or out. You didn't know if your behavior recently had made you out, and if you died in a car accident today, you'd be going to hell. You didn't know that until then, until this. You didn't know where you were going to spend eternity. You thought maybe when you closed your eyes, everything would just kind of be black and you'd never see anything again. Or maybe it would be worse than that. You didn't know until this moment in time. This is why it's good news. You couldn't be sure about any of that until this moment in time when God said, I'm giving you the gift of Jesus, which is connection with me. And all you have to do, the writer says believe. We translate it in English, but the word in Greek means trust. It really means trust. And you know what trust is? I got my, tr- my stool out. You know, I'm going to go over here because people say I always talk to this side. So I still love you guys. Oh, hey guys. So I got this stool. And it really, truthfully, the trust word means this in the Greek. It means, and, and maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this today. This is what it means to receive the gift of Jesus. This is all it means. It means that normally I trust my legs to keep me upright. It means that normally I, when I walk and I, tr- I trust myself to keep myself from falling. And if, if, I, if I wanted to trust God in my life and, and I normally trust myself, I might be, you know, really putting all my stock in my 401k. I might be really working hard to build the stuff up around me so I have everything I need. I might be stockpiling weapons and ammunition just in case. You know what I'm saying? And, and I trust myself. And so I've got my legs underneath me. But when I decide that I'm going to trust in Jesus for my eternity, and here's what Christians do. They say they trust in Jesus, but they stay on their own legs, and they just keep trying to do good, and they think the good is what gets them to Jesus. And then what we see is the good just goes away. It's just too hard to keep up because it's not a good reason. And so what happens is we say, you should believe, and we start doing this. Okay? I, I, I trust myself. Because all my weight's still on my leg, but I'll lean a little bit on the stool. And that's not what the word means. That's not what the word means. So we, then we go, oh, you know what? This whole church thing, I don't know. I'm going to go back to me. And we lean on ourselves, and we, we start trusting ourselves. If I, I'll just be good enough to make it to heaven, and I'll take care of myself, and I'll save my money, and that's where I'll get my peace. Jesus says, no, no. Here's what trust is. It's, oh. I had a dream that this chair just broke when I did that. There goes my illustration. This is trust. All of my weight on Jesus. Everything. Everything I have. Everything I own. Everything that I trust in my life comes from Jesus. Maybe you've never done this. Maybe you're a Christian who thought that what God wanted from you was to behave. Maybe you thought the good news was that if you were the exact right kind of person, you could go to heaven. But then somewhere along the line, you realize, I don't want to be associated with people like that. I would rather risk hell than be involved. Maybe you married somebody that was a Christian. Maybe you had a preacher deal with you in the wrong way. Maybe somebody misrepresented the good news for you because here's the good news. You can know how you stand with God. You can know what lies after this life. And what he said was, good news, Jesus has come and all it takes from you is to put your trust in Him. Just put your weight on Him. The Bible actually uses the word trust and lean interchangeably. So it's like you're just, that's why I used this stool this morning, you're just, you're leaning on Jesus. That's it. 
Yeah, but John, don't you have to? Nope. But John, can't you have to? Nope. But what about the guys who, yeah. But what about the people who all their life live like this and then at the last, very last breath? It's, it's good news. It's good news. Stop messing it up. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever leans into him you get it now? Whoever leans into him, whoever trusts him, whoever realizes that he's there. I'm not saying whoever believes because whoever believes to me sounds like the Magic Kingdom. It sounds like Disney. It sounds like a Christmas movie where you would go, do you believe in Santa Claus? And you go, I want to believe in Santa Claus. This is not the word here. It's not close your eyes, grit it, and fake it. Believing in God. That's not what it is. It's you make the commitment that you are going to work and lean towards Jesus. You are going to try everything you can to lean towards the way Jesus intends for you to live your life and to trust Him with your life. So John further uncomplicates Christmas. And he says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. It's a funny word, isn't it? We don't use it very much in English. The word we would normally say something like, oh, I heard your business perished. I'm sorry about that. It's like it ceases to exist. You know, I heard Joe and Trina's car perish this week. <laughs> they got a new one. It's gone. You know, it's perished. The word here is cease to exist. So if you believe, if you receive Jesus, you have eternal life. Now the question here, and this is where I, I want to make sure and keep things as clear as possible. Maybe you're going, well, what? Is that heaven? Is that what you mean? By eternal life is heaven? That's what I thought my whole life. That's not enough. Do you understand that? That Jesus, when Jesus came and he talked about eternal life, he didn't say heaven. He wasn't talking about heaven. Look at this. Here's Jesus. He, he tells us right up, straight up. That's what I love when he does this. Next slide. Father, the hour has come. This is what Jesus says, John 17. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And that's where he says, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. And now I love Jesus. He, he goes, now people aren't going to know what eternal life was. So he says this, now this is eternal life. The preacher's best tool right there. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ. You can say that's eternal life. It's knowing God. It's leaning into this thing. And that's how you can talk to people who have gone through such messes in their life. And life stinks. It's hard. And sometimes it just gets worse for Christians. It's, it's not better. But there is a peace that undergirds. Knowing God changes who you are. That's part of the good news that came that day. So the plan looks like this. Next slide, Tanya. God loved instead of played. God gave instead of demanded. We believe, we trust, and we lean into the stool. We lean into Him. And then we receive a different kind of life. Jesus says, I've came to give them life and life abundantly. Life here physically on earth differently and then life eternal. Your eternal life starts the moment you receive. It's an amazing thing. So you never see John 3.17 at the football games on the signs. But here's what John says next. He wants to be very, very clear. He wants to make sure nobody messes this up like we have. I feel, I feel like preachers must stop at John 3.16. They never read further because look at this. Here's what he says. Let me be really clear. 
For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. He did not send His Son in the world to point a finger. He did not send His Son in the world to make you a list, to give you guilt, to give you one more thing. That's not new. That's not news. There's nothing new about making people feel bad about the rules they've created and not following them. That's been going on for years. The new thing, the fresh thing, the good news is that all it takes is belief. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. I wrote this down so I would not forget to say it. If you have ever felt condemned by Christians, if you have ever felt condemned by a Christian person or by a church or by a preacher like me, look at me, point a finger. That's what I just said we don't do. If you have ever done that, if you have ever felt worse after hearing the story of Jesus, if you have ever felt farther from God, if you have ever felt condemned because of this story, I am sorry. We have messed up. You've been given the wrong message because the message of Jesus is 100% good news. God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. That's the good news. That's Christmas. You can know where you stand with God today. Band, you guys can come up if you want. I'll move my stool. You can know today where you stand with God. Today, you know that you can know what your eternity looks like. I'll never forget what Jeff told me when I went up to the hospital to see him during this heart attack situation, which he had another little episode last night. He walked out to the bathroom and I almost stopped preaching to make sure you're all right. <laughs> but he said on his way to the hospital, he was in the ambulance and he just said, I wasn't scared. I knew where I'm going. You can have that today. Did you know that? Have you, have you ever trusted? Have you ever, in your life, have you ever done this? Have you ever just gone, oh. You know, at the end of the day, that's the noise I make every day. Reese makes fun of me with it. Dad, you make funny noises. The older I get, the funnier the noises get too. Because I sit down and I go, oh. And I take my shoes off and again I go, oh. And Risha says it sounds like a nursing home when I come home. Oh, and then I get up to go to the bathroom. Oh, you know. But something about that, oh. It's a deep breath. You need that today. Maybe you did receive it. Maybe you leaned into this stool a long time ago. Maybe you sat here for a few years and then some dumb preacher or some person or maybe it just happened that you started thinking that you need to trust in yourself. You know, you pull up yourself by the bootstraps and it's only you that can help you. And, you, and then you start going, oh, okay. And all the weight's back on you today. Maybe after the service, all we hear is, oh, well, I hope so. It's available to you today. Have you ever trusted me? Maybe you've slipped away. Maybe you have trusted yourself again. I'm going to ask you to do two things. I told you I wasn't going to ask you to do anything. It's really not that much, but here it is. Don't mess up the good news for people in your life this Christmas. If you're a Christian, if you have fallen into this stool, some of us like fall on it, you know? 
If you have sat and you have said, God, I am trusting you with my life. If you at some point in your life have accepted this good news in your life, please don't mess it up for somebody else. We've done too much of that. And then, don't miss it. At all costs, you make sure your kids know the good news. You make sure your family knows the good news. You don't open a present. You don't do a single thing that revolves around our culture and Christmas until everybody understands how good the news really is. If you've never received it today, or maybe you forgot. Maybe the the world has just pushed you into a place where you have forgotten that the news was even good in the first place. Maybe somebody sold it to you and it never was good news. It was always just rules. Today's the day. I'm going back there to that corner. Here's the thing. We, we do this thing around here where if you do it for the first time, if you receive Jesus for the first time, if you decide today, hey, I'm going to lean into this thing and I've never done this before, we, we do baptism. It's what Jesus did. And he said, this is what I want you to do when you receive this. And it's a symbol. There's nothing special about the water, although today it's warm, more incentive. We do this baptism thing. And a lot of you have been baptized and you have walked away from the stool. Today, you don't need me. You don't need anything else. It's just between you and God. The news is that good. I'm going right back there to that corner, though. And if you want to pray together, if you need me to remind you of how good the news is, I'll be right there. After this service today, when the service is completely over, I'm going to stay back there. We've got people in this corner as well. So both of these corners after the service, if you've never received this, if you need somebody to pray with, there will be people in those corners that will pray with you this morning and remind you of how good the news is. It's... It's better than you thought. It's better than you could have imagined. And it's true. We got this song to sing this morning called Come In Jesus. I was afraid Rick would pick like something like the first Noel or something that I don't really understand for for an invitation, but he didn't. He picked one of my favorites here, and it is Come In Jesus. And the idea is this. Jesus says, I'm knocking at the door of your life. You don't have to do anything to receive me, except open the stinking door. Just open. Some of you need WD-40 on your doors. Some of you need, you need a pry bar. And I don't know what it's going to take this morning, but I've been praying for you that today would be the day that you would open the door. If you're ready to say, Jesus, come into my life, that's all it takes today. I'll be back there to help you do that, but you can do it just between you and God. Would you stand today and sing to him and thank him for the good news?